Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. So here at Harvest, we've just finished a sermon series on the 12 minor prophets of the Old Testament, all those little books with weird names like Obadiah. For many of us, it was probably the first time you've ever heard a pastor say, Open your Bible to Nahum. Maybe you didn't even realize your book, your Bible had a book of Haggai. So Jerry said, well, try to see if we can find a way to connect the prophets with Christmas. Well, okay. (laughs) So I gave it some thought. And so let's do a quick survey here. How many of you have ever heard a sermon that starts with, open your Bible to the book of Numbers? We've got one. <laughs> okay, we got one. Well, that's where we're going to be today. It's a pretty big book. Um, one we don't give much attention to. I mean, even the name of the book sounds boring, right? Numbers? <laughs> the, the actual name in the Hebrew Bible is In the Wilderness, which is a little more descriptive. So to, to think about where we are in Numbers... God has rescued his people out of Egypt by the Passover. He's brought them through the Red Sea. He's met them at Mount Sinai and given them his law. They've promised to be faithful to him. And in the end, the story of the book of Numbers boils down to one key truth. God is faithful to his people, even though they keep rebelling against him. Now, these people are a complete mess. They don't trust God. They don't obey God. Their worst sin is when they refuse to go into the promised land. And because of that, God says that they'll be in the wilderness for 40 years until that faithless generation has all died off. And their kids will be the ones to enter the promised land. By the time we pick up the story today, those 40 years have passed. God has brought them to the plains of Moab, you can see it on the map here. They're just across the Jordan River from Jericho. They've just defeated two enemies on the eastern bank of the Jordan, Sihon and Big Og. And the king of Moab, a fellow named Balak, is pretty worried about this because he figures he's next. So Balak calls up a shady character named Balaam. Now, Balaam is basically a pagan witch doctor. If Hollywood were casting him, he'd be dressed in this crazy fur with wild hair. He'd probably have different colored eyes, right? He'd have a bunch of amulets and whatnot hanging around his neck. Balaam is a very complicated figure. He says a lot of things, especially in our, in our reading today, which are good and true. But the rest of the Bible sees him as a villain because of what comes later in the story. We're not going to be able to go through all that today. But um, his story does keep going after this incident. So Balaam is on his way to curse Israel. And we get the main scene that people know from the book of Numbers, which is Balaam and his donkey are confronted by the angel of the Lord. Balaam can't see the angel of the Lord. The donkey can and keeps turning away. Three times this happens. 
Balaam, the mighty witch doctor, can't even see the spiritual truth that's right in front of him that's plain to a donkey. God even allows the donkey to speak. Finally, God reveals himself to Balaam and warns Balaam that on this trip, he must speak only the words that God gives him. So, Balak takes Balaam up on a mountain where he can see Israel, so he can curse them. And Balaam has Balak build seven altars and sacrifice a bull and a ram on each altar. And then Balaam pronounces a blessing on Israel. Balak is angry. So they try again from a different place. The same thing happens. They try a third time. The same thing happens. It's actually, if you think about it, it's the story of Balaam and his donkey, but this time it's the story of Balak and his Balaam. Right? Three times. uh, as, And so now we're ready to, we're finally ready to read our text for today. So it's a long introduction, but I think it's necessary to understand what's going on as we just jump into the middle of this story. Balak tells Balaam, fine, forget the whole thing. We're out of here. And like God opening the donkey's mouth to speak earlier, God has a special word from the mouth of Balaam. So we're going to read starting in Numbers chapter 24, starting at verse 14. Balaam is speaking here. He says, now I'm going back to my people, but come, let me warn you of what this people will do to your people. In the days to come. And then he spoke his message. The prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor. The prophecy of one whose eye sees clearly. The prophecy of one who hears the words of God. Who has knowledge of the Most High. Who sees a vision from the Almighty. Who falls prostrate and whose eyes are opened. I see him. But not now. I behold him. But not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab and the skulls of all the people of Sheth. Edom will be conquered. Seir, his enemy, will be conquered. But Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. All right. There's a lot going on here. Let's see if we can make some sense of it. So let's start off by realizing that God saves his people by his unfailing faithfulness. Have you ever noticed when you're doing something hard how easy it is to get discouraged and want to just give up on the whole thing, even something you really want. One of the sweetest, sweetest truths in the Bible is that God never feels that way. He is determined to save a people for himself, and he will not give up. He will not fail. So first, we're going to see that God is faithful when enemies try to drive him away. This whole ceremony that Balaam is doing with the seven altars and the sacrifices on each altar, 
We know from exorcism, this, uh, from, from archaeology, this is basically an exorcism. It's a way to drive a spirit away. Now, it's not clear whether it's a bribe for Balaam's own so-called God to show up and fight or whether it's basically offering the Lord a bribe to abandon Israel. In either case, it doesn't work. All right, God sees the fire burning and he's like, pretty impressive barbecue, guys. Nice try. You think I'm going to abandon my people? Are you crazy? Indeed, listen to the words of Balaam. Again, an enemy of God's people, but compelled to speak true words. Let me warn you of what this people will do to your people in days to come. Balak thought some witch doctor would be enough to drive Yahweh away. Well, Balak's a king. He wants to protect his people. But this is the Lord he's dealing with. And you can't just make him go away. And this is a truth that God keeps reminding us of day by day, over and over. Right? Paul reminds us of God's faithfulness in his letter to the Romans. Super familiar words for most of us, right? Paul writes, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to set us Separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can drive him away. And perhaps most amazingly, that means he's faithful when his own people are faithless. Balaam has this vision of the future. He can't tell exactly when, but he can tell it's going to be a while. Somewhere down the line, a star will come out of Jacob. Now notice, it's not a star might come out of Jacob. You know, if they do everything right. Now, I think the star is a reference to David. David is the star that will rise in Israel and conquer Moab. You can read about that in 2 Samuel 8. Now, if we were to flip through the pages between Numbers 24 and 2 Samuel 8, you're going to see an awful lot of sin from God's people. You read the book of Judges, where these guys will fall down and worship anything that moves, and in fact, anything that doesn't move. They are a faithless, fickle people. They haven't learned much from their 40 years in the wilderness And yet God's purposes will stand. His word will be accomplished. Again, 1,500 years after this, we have Paul again reminding us of this same truth. Jennifer quoted this for us before. Jennifer basically gave my short version of my sermon. (laughs) Right? If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. I want to take a second here, folks, to remind us all. God is the same through the ages. He rescued Israel by his unfailing faithfulness. He's still doing the same today.
you will fail God. You will. You will sin, perhaps worse than you ever dreamed you could sin. And our faithful God would remind you, come back. Come back. Come back to the faithful God. Come back to the God of unfailing faithfulness. Come back to the God who cannot be driven away. Come back. So having seen that God saves his people by unfailing faithfulness, we're now going to see that God saves his people by his unbroken promises. It seems to me that as years go by, the quality of stuff we get at the stores gets worse and worse. Has anybody noticed this? Right? I still have a digital alarm clock in my bedroom that I bought in college 30 years ago, and it works great. Right? But you go out and you buy a cell phone, and it's barely usable after two years. We have dishes that belong to our grandparents and still look beautiful. You go out and you buy a mug at a store, you run it through the dishwasher a couple of times, and it's, it's faded, and you can hardly read it. Year by year, quality just seems to go down and down. Manufacturers just want to promise enough to make the initial sale. And I have good news for you. God is not like that. His promises are like pure gold. Never tarnishing, never rusting, never breaking. And let's see how this works in this text. But actually, first, let's get a reminder of how prophecy works in the Old Testament. Okay. When we look at this picture, what do we see? Well, you see my wife and my daughter. But if you look past them just a little bit, you can see a river flowing through there, right? And if you keep looking further, you see the mountains in the background and the sky behind them. Now, if I asked, is this a picture of Kim and Faith, would you say yes? Yeah. If I said, this is a picture of the Snake River, well, you'd probably take my word for it. <laughs> if... Uh, if I said, it's a picture of some, some magnificent mountains, would you agree? Yes, right? It's all of those things in a single picture. And when I took this picture, I intentionally wanted all those things in it. Old Testament prophecy works kind of like that, right? So Balaam is speaking around 1400 BC, plus or minus, right? God is giving him a message of David about 400 years later. But God also knows the whole story. He knows that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem and that his birth will be announced to the world with a star. He also knows that one day Christ will return and every eye will see him on that day. Now, we can see God's promises kept in the past. As I said, you can read in 2 Samuel 8 about how David thoroughly defeated Moab and Edom, Israel's neighbors to the east. Can you imagine how exciting it must have been for the uh, 
to be listening to Torah being read one, uh, read one Sabbath and one of the kids shouts out, Daddy, it happened. It happened. Just, uh, King David defeated those nations just like God promised through Balaam. But the picture wasn't done. Right? A thousand years later, we get another horizon in the picture because a star rose over Bethlehem. God's promises are true. History has been full of suggestions of exactly what this star was. Is it a comet? Is it a supernova? Was it an angel? Your guess is as good as mine. My understanding is Jerry's explaining this at the men's Bible study this week. He's going to work all this out. Am I right? All right. Here's the sad thing. Nobody in Israel knew what it meant. When the wise men show up in Jerusalem asking about the new king to be born, what, what happens? We have in Matthew 2, 7, Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. Herod has to ask them, wait, when did this star happen? The star shone over Bethlehem and apparently nobody in Jerusalem thought anything of it. Why did these pagan astrologers know to look in Jerusalem when they saw this star. As far as I can tell, it's because they were reading their Bibles, right? They knew that a star would announce the birth of the king. They knew that it would be about 490 years after Daniel had been in Babylon. They knew the king to be born would be Emmanuel, God with us, which is why when they see Jesus, they fall down and worship him. And they know that he'll be a son of David. So when they go looking for him, they start off in David's royal city. A real tragic part of the Christmas story is a bunch of pagans had read their Bible and came looking for the baby king. Nobody in Jerusalem did. Herod asked his priests and scribes, Hey, does anybody know where the Messiah would be born? And they say, yes, yes, Micah 5.2, he'll be born in Bethlehem. Exactly right. Bravo, guys. They got it. They absolutely nailed it. Now, let's think back to the Bible. Let's think back to, to Matthew. How many priests... And scribes who knew their Bibles, who, who were able to rattle off Micah 5.2 off the top of their heads. How many of them made the trip with the Magi to visit Bethlehem? The fact of the matter is, God made all of these promises and more. And he kept them all. The star of Bethlehem is another, another proof That God does keep his promises. When we read things like this, God wants us to be encouraged. He wants our faith to be strengthened. We see that God doesn't break his promises. 
As you read the Bible, you will be overwhelmed by the number of specific prophecies that are fulfilled. And not just prophecies about Jesus. God saves his people by unbroken promises. The best part of seeing all of God's unbroken promises in the past is it means that we can trust his promises in the future. The stock market will tell you past performance is no indicator of future results. You know what? God is not the stock market. Some stocks do well and then fail. Some languish for a long time and take off. God is always God. He never changes. His word is always true. His promises are always unbroken. And when you see that and you believe it, it changes everything for you. Because God, because of God's unbroken promises, we can know with absolute confidence that forgiveness is real. That your life has meaning and purpose. That eternal life is available. That Jesus is coming back. Yes, 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 yes. God saves his people by his unbroken promises. Finally, and very briefly, God saves his people by his unstoppable justice. It was a little strange looking at this text and realize that I'm trying to teach truth about the faithfulness of God and the wonder of Christmas with a text that talks about crushing the forehead of Moab and the skulls of the people of Sheth. It's not exactly the normal stuff you print on your Christmas card. Jesus tells us, pray, thy kingdom come. Do you realize when you pray that prayer, you are at the same time praying that every rival kingdom will fail? Sometimes it's hard to get our heads around this. But think about this. We just finished this teaching series on the minor prophets. How many of those prophets promised a day of the Lord was coming? A day of judgment and justice? A lot of them, right? David came as king and defeated Israel's enemies on the battlefield. Jesus came for the first time, defeated Satan on the cross. And when he comes again, he will put an end to everything in creation that rebels against his rule. Read the book of Revelation, right? When Jesus returns, he isn't coming back like some hippie in a flower shirt saying, Peace, dude. Every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. Some will bow in delight and worship. Some will bow in terror. But they will all bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Friends, I don't know when that day will be. But wouldn't it be tragic to hear a message like this about God's faithfulness through the ages and think, huh, yeah, I I guess I need to get serious about all this Jesus stuff someday. 
and just walk out those doors the way you came in, unmoved, unchanged. Wouldn't it be tragic to realize the day of the Lord is upon us and all of the promises still waiting are fulfilled and you never got past dabbling in Jesus? You never cried out to him. If that's where you are, I'd invite you to pray. Call out to him, Jesus, I need you. I know that I'm guilty of breaking your law. I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. I've been dismissive of your word. I've been bored with your promises. I've not loved you or obeyed you. But today, today it's clear. Today I see that I need you. Today I hold out the empty hands of faith. And I can only say, Jesus, save me. I believe you died for sinners like me. I believe your word is true. I believe that you can save me. I believe you are my king. I believe you are coming back. If you've never prayed like that, will you pray like that today? Don't put it off again. How many times have you said, I need to get around to this? Don't put it off again. Now, many of us in this room have already prayed like that. Some recently. Uh, For some, it was a long time ago. But I'd like to say something to those who claim the name of Jesus as your Savior. As you may be aware, Christmas is next weekend. In fact, Christmas Day is next Sunday. And I'll tell you, some of us are going to feel a lot of pressure to stay home next Sunday. The kids want to open their presents. You have family in town who aren't Christian. There are reasons why it would be easier to stay home. I get that. I really do. But I'd like to encourage you to think through that a little bit more, right? If you stay home because you have family in town, what are you showing your family? They know it's Christmas Day. They know it's Sunday morning. If they know that you're a Christian, they shouldn't be surprised that you want to be in church to worship your Savior on Sunday morning. You know, the same applies really on on Christmas Eve. These are going to be cheerful, family-friendly events. Invite your family to come along. Invite your friends to come along. Tell your kids, okay, kids, you can open the stockings, but your presents are going to wait till after church. Let's be like the wise men who believed God's word and came to worship the newborn king. Not like the scribes and the priests who knew exactly where to find Jesus but didn't make the trip. We serve a faithful God, a promise-keeping God, a God of justice. This is a great opportunity for us to show our kids and our families, our neighbors, where our real commitments are. We say Jesus is the reason for the season. Let's put our car keys where our mouths are, huh? God's word for us today is this. 
God's plan to save his people is proven by the star over Bethlehem. So come. Come. Let us adore him. Now, we're going to take a couple of minutes to respond to the Lord in prayer now. And depending on who you are, you might want to use this time a little bit differently. Maybe you've never actually called on Jesus to save you. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in that. Literally, every person in this room was like that at some point. If that's where you are, I would love it if you wanted to come down and and pray with me here in just a minute. Whether you pray with me or with a friend or family member, please pray. Do it. Do it today. Don't put it off again. For the rest of us, I'd invite you to turn to a turn to a neighbor, family member, somebody around you, and let's pray. We might maybe we just want to give thanks to God for his faithfulness. Praise him for all the promises that he's kept. Praise him for the for the promises that he's kept in your life. Thank him for his faithfulness. Proclaim your trust in him and that he's faithful to keep his promises to the end of your days and forever and finally maybe you know that Christmas is going to be tricky with your family maybe you have a friend or a family member that you really like to invite to come to the Christmas Eve service or Christmas morning that would be another great thing that we can pray with how good it is when we can pray together, when we can join somebody in their heart's desire and call out on their behalf to the Lord. So let's do this now. We'll take a couple of minutes. Turn to a neighbor and, and let's, let's pray to the Lord. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.